Our, uh, our text today is from uh, Philippians chapter 1, and uh, hopefully, I gave you the assignment last week, hopefully you remembered and you read Philippians chapter 1, and uh, maybe just asked God to, to show you something, to teach you something from that chapter. Uh, I'm going to share a couple of the things that the Lord has uh, shown me, and I'm going to kind of package it as New Year's resolutions. So five New Year's resolutions from Philippians chapter 1. Before we do that, I want to mention that uh, about once a month we have an after party. It's a time that we have set up in this hallway right down here to the left, uh, the hallway going this way, and then the first door, second door on the left, you'll see a sign that says the after party. And it's uh, specifically an opportunity for me to get to know some of the newer people in the church. So if I haven't had a chance to chat with you, come down there and uh, let me get to know who you are. But it's also an opportunity for uh, uh, if you want to talk to me about something, that's where I'm going to be. So come down there and see me. We've got plenty of refreshments, coffee, uh, and uh, appreciate somebody visiting me. So I'm not down there all by myself. It's, for, it's an opportunity for us to connect. I heard this story about these three merchants that had three stores in one building. It was a block-long building, and the store at the one end uh, the merchant set up a sign over his door that said, big year-end clearance sale. And the other one at, at the other end put up a sign over his door that said, huge closeout sale. And the merchant in the middle kind of felt a little bit of competition there, so he put a sign over his door that said, main entrance. Sometimes if you're going to succeed in a competitive world, you have to have an edge. If you're going to succeed as a Christian in a non-Christian world, you have to have an edge. You have to have something that's working for you, something that, uh, that, that gives you a little bit of leverage over other people if you want to be successful because Satan owns this world, right? So... Uh, I guess I shouldn't have said it that way. God owns the world. Satan is the God of this world. That's what I meant to say. Okay, here's the first one of these five New Year's resolutions. It's found in verse 6 of Philippians. <clears throat> Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That means until he comes back again. Has Jesus Christ come back again? Oh, come on. No. no, he's not come back again yet. We're waiting for him. He could come back any day. The second coming of Jesus Christ is coming. He hasn't come back yet. So that means he is still carrying it on He's not finished bringing it to completion. He's got a work to do in you. I've been kind of watching this uh, construction of this uh, gas station store that they're doing down here by the stoplight in Waterloo. I've been kind of watching that thing advance. Uh, and I don't remember once looking at that and saying, what a terrible mess they're making with this corner. Never said that. Because as I heard the rumor before they began the demolition, I heard the rumor of what they were going to do with it. So as they began demolishing the old and rebuilding the new, 
I was kind of watching it, and I was kind of dreaming, and I could see in my mind what it could be. I could see where they're going to, I could see when they laid the foundation, I could see, okay, this is where the store's going to go, and this is about how big it's going to be, and I was looking at what could be. Don't we do that when we look at a house under construction or some other building that's under construction? Nobody looks at it and says, well, what a terrible mess they've made. Everybody sees what can be and begins to dream with the architect, begins to dream with the contractors. But boy, they sure make a mess first, don't they? <laughs> so it is with your life. You are under construction. You are not a finished project. Therefore, no one on this earth has a right to judge you where you are today. Because you are an unfinished project. God's working on you, and he who began the good work in you will carry it out until its completion. Amen. He's not done with you yet. He's not done with me. Don't, eat, don't look at me and evaluate me on what I've done with my life until I'm done with my life. It's a work in progress. I think the phrase they use in the trades is if you want to make an omelet, you have to crack a few eggs. And for you and I, if God wants to make an omelet out of us, he's got to crack a few eggs. He's got to break what was those habits, those patterns that once were so that he can bring us out to the other side. So sometimes we get discouraged with God because it doesn't seem that God's making progress with us. God should be doing this. God should be doing that. He's not done yet. And he's not in a big hurry. Have you noticed that? Oh, he's patient, God. He loves us. So here's the first one. I, here's my first New Year's resolution from this. I will be confident in God's work. I will be confident in what God is doing. I doubt myself sometimes, but I'll have confidence in God and what God wants to do. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we're hoping for. It's to hear the promise of God, to understand what God wants to do, and it's to have confidence that God is doing exactly what he said. I don't understand it. I don't like some of the demolition that has to go on in my life. I don't like these things, but I know God is trying to build up something good in me. Yes. Always, always is good. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 shows us God's perspective on this. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We keep trying to recreate God in our image, but God is trying to create us in his image. He's trying to change the way we think, trying to change the way we react, trying to change the way the strategies that we use to be successful in this world. He's trying to change us to make us like him. 
So I'll be confident in God's work in me. Here's the, the second one, and it's coming from verses 9 and 10, which I'll read to you. And this is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So the second New Year's resolution is I will cultivate a depth of insight. I need to cultivate it. God has given us deep insight into the creation. Scientists and doctors are learning new techniques to deal with health issues in our bodies. But, I, but we have to cultivate that depth. Somebody's got to Somebody's got to accumulate what everybody else has discovered and then add to it. That's what God does with us. That love, how we treat other people, to express what God feels through us, that love may abound. That means full load. More and more. In other words, increasing, expanding, extending. God expects us to grow. He doesn't expect us to preserve what we have. He expects us to grow what we have. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I love the way the, the English Standard Version says it. The unfolding of your words. It's like we read through this and we don't understand much of what we read. How does this fit in my life? It doesn't seem to be reality. This, the Word of God is like a bud on the end of your dead-looking tree in your yard. You've got a tree that looks dead as a doornail right now. There's not a leaf on it, not a sign of life. But at the end of each of those branches is what we call a bud. It looks like it's dead. But you know what's going to happen in just a couple months. We're going to come out of the winter, and the sun's going to come out and shine and eventually take the, the frost out of the ground if we ever get any. <laughs> and the sap is going to flow up out of the roots up the trunk, out those branches, out to the ends where the buds are. And those buds are going to explode with life. You see, here we are, the first part of January, and everything that's needed for, for, for life for that bud is already there. It's already in there. If you take a, a knife and you cut it, you can see the life forms on the inside ready to explode. It's like that with you and I and the Word of God. This is God's truth. This is His depth of knowledge to deal with how to deal with things in our life. It's right in here. And it's like layer after layer after layer gets opened up. I need to stop thinking I have arrived and I know everything I need to know about godliness, because I don't. Because what I'm, what I'm learning this morning will be a platform for what he wants to teach me next week. 
It's like layer upon layer. We get to go deeper and deeper and deeper with God. This is good news. I'm encouraging myself this morning. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You got to cry out for it and you've got to search for it. Passive Christianity doesn't work. You're in the process of dying unless you're in the process of growing. So we have to do something with this. And those of us that have decided, okay, on Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church. You got up, you got dressed, you came, you're sitting, you worshiped God. Now we're, we're, we're learning a little bit more. You're a step ahead of the, of the Christians that don't go anyplace because they think they've got all there is. They're not going any further. He's, he's setting us up for something he wants to teach us next week in Philippians chapter 2. So between now and next Sunday, read chapter 2 of Philippians and just ask God before you read it, what do you want to say to me, God? And watch what he teaches you because he's setting this up. So we need to call out for this insight. If anyone lacks wisdom, and surely you do in the business you're in, Surely you do in the people relationships that you have. We, want to, we need to cry out for it, call out for it, search out for it like it's worth something. If somebody told you that uh, somebody lost a, a $20 bill somewhere in this room, if you can find it, you can have it, I think we'd all be looking. We'd be looking for that thing. And you don't just say, well, maybe the... Maybe the furnace will kick on and blow it over my way. No, we know. If we're going to find that 20 bucks, we got to go looking for it. And it's like that with this insight, how to do things, what God wants us to know about life in the Word. They've got this, uh, I remember a couple years ago, I watched this famous guy, I forget his name, who walked across that, that uh, high wire across Niagara Falls. They had it on TV, and everybody was watching it, and it was in the front page of the paper. And uh, I noticed he had this long pole. That long pole was so he could shift the weight to this side or shift the weight to that side, and he was always adjusting, moving that pole, because that's what stabilized him. That's what gave him balance. That's why he could walk across that. If you were going to walk across the two before, you might be able to make it, but you'd probably have your arms out like this. Why? Because you're stabilizing yourself. You're shifting your weight one way or the other to keep your balance. That's what we do. But someone walking on a high wire, he's got to have a long one because he didn't want to take any chances. He's fallen off a two before. For you, might twist an ankle, but for him, it's the end. So he's got that thing he's shifting. We need to find something that stabilizes us. The Word of God stabilizes us. It reminds us what the main thing is. And when somebody betrays us, when somebody hurts us, when, when somebody stabs us in the back, we Christians, we don't have this knee-jerk reaction, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We got to get ourselves stabilized. The main thing is I'm here to serve God and love people. If they don't love me, that's beside the point. 
I'm here to love people because that's how God feels. We've got to stabilize ourselves. If you're, if you're going to make your marriage survive for the rest of your life, you've got to find a way to stabilize yourself because marriage itself is a pressure cooker. You're attracted to somebody that's your opposite, and then you're expected to live happily ever after with your opposite. How does that happen? We go through a lot of struggles, and we have to find a common ground to come back and, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Get stable. Get stable. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. What does that mean? We were just singing that a little bit ago, and I was thinking to myself, he's free indeed. What does that mean? What, what's freedom mean? I mean, I know what it means on the 4th of July, but what does freedom mean for us? It means I'm not in bondage to what they did to me. I'm not in bondage to, the, to, to that abuse that person did to me when I was 12. I don't have to live the rest of my life with that. They don't run my life. God runs my life. Freedom means I am free from the hurt, the anger, the resentment, the hostility, the unforgiveness. I'm free for that. I give it to God. I don't have to carry that around. That's what freedom means. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord is saying to somebody, you can be healed if you want to. He came to set your memories free, to deliver you from the past. Don't stay in bondage. Get free. He wants to heal you of that past. Okay, here's the third New Year's resolution we can draw from Philippians chapter 1. It's in the Verses 21 through 26, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for you. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me." Here's the third one. I will be convinced that God can still use me. Paul's uh, looking at this contrast, this conflict uh, that every, every Christian, every committed Christian has. Sometimes we just want to say, even so, Jesus, come quickly. I don't want to go through this anymore. This life down here just hurts too bad. There's too many disappointments. It would be better for me if I just left and entered into the presence of God. I mean, wouldn't that be great? I would never have another bill to pay. I would never have another light bulb to change. 
I would never have another problem. In Father's house, all the problems are solved all the time. Down here, there's always another thing to fix, always another thing to replace, always another thing to upgrade. In Father's house, it's not that way. So our life's full of stress just because we live down here. It'd be just, Paul, Paul is saying, it'd be so much better if I could just step into God's presence and, and have all these problems over. But on the other hand, if I stay around, God's developed some things in me that I could pass on to you. I can help you grow. I can help you understand some of this depth of insight that we're praying for. I can do some teaching, some coaching, some guiding. I can help you and you get stronger and stronger. On the one hand, it's better for me if I just leave and go to Father's house. On the other hand, I get to store up treasures in heaven if I stay around down here, investing in you. So he says, I'm convinced that God can still use me. And the older we get, and I see we got some gray hair around here. The older we get, the more we tend to say, God can't, God could use me back then, but he can't use me anymore. And that's a lie of the enemy. Some of the great people of the Bible were old men and women before God began to use them. Because all the demolishing he had to do of the old ways to build up anew. I heard about a, a teacher, children's ministry teacher, that was teaching children about heaven. And the teacher was all excited about what it's going to be someday and was sharing some of the biblical truths about heaven. And as she got toward the end of her message, she said, so how many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And every kid in the classroom raised their hand except one boy. And she looked at the boy and she said, well, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven? And he said, well, yes, but this morning before I came, mom was cooking an apple pie. <laughs> there are some things about life down here we kind of like. I, I am enjoying thoroughly watching my grandchildren grow up. More so than I did watching my kids grow up. Because you get to send the grandkids home after a while. There's things about life we enjoy. Some of us in this room, you've been making plans already. You've been making plans on a vacation this summer. And there's anticipation. And you're looking forward to getting away from the routine and doing something different. You're looking forward to that. There are some things about life down here we really enjoy. And that's okay. But the hope is, one of these days, God will bring us home. So that's our hope. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, God says to Israel, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The older we get and the weaker we think we are, the more God is going to uphold us with his right hand. But we need to lean on him, not run from him, and not wait till he comes and looks us up. We have to look him up.
but his right hand is always extended to help us along the way. So as we age, our roles change. We're not able to do some of the things we used to do, but we can still be a coach to people who are learning how to do what we used to do. So all of us need to be involved in someone else's life as a, as a coach, as a guide, helping them on their journey. I will be convinced that God can still use me. <clears throat> Look at the first part of verse 27. Here's the fourth one. Whatever happens, I love that phrase, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourself. You know what conduct means? A conductor in an orchestra sets the pace, sets the tone for everybody else. Everybody follows. They're watching his hands. They're watching him move because he's conducting it. He's not playing any instrument at all. It's the orchestra that's playing the instrument, but the conductor leads them all so that they play in harmony, so they play the same tune. He's telling us to conduct our lives. Our lives has to do with our finances. It has to do with our moral values. It has to do with our decisions. It has to do with our relationships. We've got to conduct our lives in a way, in a manner that is worthy of a son of God. Do we want to be redeemed? I want to be redeemed. If I want to be redeemed, I have to understand God wants to put his Holy Spirit inside of me, which requires some holiness on my part. I need to conduct myself in a manner worthy. Whatever happens, whether good things happen or bad things happen, I need to make decisions. I need to conduct myself in, an, in a way that honors God. How do I do that? I want to give you three terms, three ways to do in this dark world, in this promiscuous society, how do we do that? Here's the first one. Discernment. We've got to discern some things. You have to decide what's cultural and I need to embrace it and what's godly and I need to I need to reject the world's ways. We need to discern that. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says it like this. Do not conform. You know what conform means? That means to shape up, to fall in line. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We'll never be able to understand the will of, the God, will of God and walk in his path, walk the ways he wants, me, wants us to walk, you and I, until first our minds have been transformed. Because the ways of the world, what we learned from in kindergarten through high school from our classmates and our teachers, that's the way of the world. And it's how you become successful in the business world. But you can be a flop in your spiritual life at the same time. So we need to be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. And how do we renew our mind? We have to take a course in God. 
We have to take some classes that teach us about God's ways and what God wants and what God desires. And if you want to have God's favor in your life, line yourself up with His goals and then watch His blessing in your life. As long as you're doing it your way, your fingers are crossed whether God's going to put His favor there or not. That's the first one, discernment. Here's the second one, discipline. We have to discipline ourselves. I cannot do what I feel like doing. It gets, me, it gets my head in a noose every time. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14, 15, and 16, he says, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The word holy means set apart for a sacred purpose. We are not to go with the flow. We're not to do what everybody else does. We're to be holy, set apart. Christians ought to be different than non-Christians. There should be a difference there. We have to discipline ourselves. Here's the third concept of how to conduct my life in a worthy manner. It's found in uh, Proverbs 24, verses 25, 26, 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. He says it in a number of ways. He's saying the same thing. Set your gaze straight ahead. Know where you're going. Set your course and walk in it. And don't let every wind of doctrine and everybody's new idea and every new fad pull you this way and that way because you want to keep up with the Joneses. What you want to do is keep up with Jesus. Get in line with him. We have to have a determination. That's the third one. We have to have a determination to make our mind up. Let your eyes look straight ahead. I'm going to give away my age now. But I'm old enough to remember when horses pulled wagons. And that's how people did their job. And I know these, what do we call them, teamsters, ran a team of horses they would put a couple leather flaps on either side of a horse's head like this. So he had to look straight ahead. Because the teamster did not want the horse to look over there to see what's going on. He didn't want him looking over here to see where it's going on because his head's always going to lead his body. So he wanted him looking straight ahead. So they would put these things on they called blinders. Not blinders that they made him blind, but that they focused their vision where they wanted him to go. What an illustration. God wants us to put on blinders. Set your path straight. Decide where you're going and lay a rail that way. We all need to do that. Okay, let's go to number five. It's the last part of verse 27. He says, Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence... I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together 
as one for the faith of the gospel. Here's the, the fifth one. I will contend for my faith, which is what strive means. I'm going to fight for it. If you don't fight for your faith, you're going to lose it. Amen. And I've been pastoring long enough to have seen hundreds of people make decisions for Christ. Heard the gospel, heard it clear, made a decision, said a prayer, committed their life to the Lord, and now they're gone. They're not going anywhere. What's the deal? What's the deal? Is, 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 does Jesus just give us salvation for the tough times and then withhold it? I want to I embrace salvation all my life. I need to fight for it. I need to understand that if God has to demolish some things in me, that's not going to be pleasant. It doesn't mean that God doesn't keep his promises. It means I'm relying on the wrong thing, and God's got to shape me from the inside out. He's got to remake me, transform me by the renewing of my mind, which takes a lifetime to happen. We need to strive together. In the book of Jude, verse 3, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Why is he telling them to fight for the faith if it's already been given to them? Because we all lose our faith if we don't fight for it. We have to make our mind up. We have to decide. I'm a servant of God no matter what. Whatever comes, whatever happens. First, I need to fight for my faith. Because my personal faith, I have the same struggles with faith you do. I pray for things just like you do. And then I wonder if God heard me. I wonder if it's really going to happen. I know I need to believe if it's going to happen, but I don't want to be f a fool and believing in something that's not going to happen. So I wrestle with the same things you wrestle with. I have to fight for my faith. And when I preach to you, it renews something inside of me. I'm not telling you to do something that I'm not preaching to myself. But second, I also need to fight for you. You need to fight for your brothers and sisters. We need to fight for the faith. Yes. I need to fa pray first, fight for my faith, and then I need to fight for the faith. Because God has placed us together in this fellowship. There's other churches you could go to. If you feel God's leading you to another church, go. Just grow there. Just grow there. Since he hasn't done that, let's grow here. Let's help one another in our faith. My faith struggles just like your faith struggles. So I have to fight for your faith. I have to pray you through. I have to encourage and coach and cheer you on. We need to do that for one another. Yes. And believers can't do that for one another while we stay home and watch church on TV. <laughs> We've got to be here, be interactive. We should, the church should be interactive, people. We need to know who the folks are around us. Amen? Yes. One last scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many 
witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. We've got to fight it. I get, as la- I get as lazy as you do. Maybe I just like to sleep in this morning. I've thought of that on a Sunday morning. Why do I have to get up? Why can't I just shut my alarm off like I do on Monday morning? I guess I don't set my alarm on Monday morning. We need to push ourselves. We need to encourage ourselves. We need to put up our dukes. We need to be ready for a fight. Satan's going to try to take you out, but God wants you to become an overcomer. I've got to fight for that. I've got to make myself do it. I have to rededicate myself and push myself. And so do you. So here's some New Year's resolutions I pulled from what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 1. I hope maybe it's helped you see a new perspective on chapter 1. Next week, read chapter 2. Okay, let's stand together. Let me go back in in my closing thoughts. Let me kind of tie it up by going back to what we said a little bit ago about you've been set free. Do not let the hurts of your past be a shackle to hold you back from moving (laughs) forward. Way too many Christians do that. I'd go to church, but so-and-so goes there, and they hurt me some time ago. I'll guarantee you there's people in this church who have hurt me, but I'm going to keep right on coming. Because I want to make them better so they don't hurt me again. Amen? That's the attitude we have to have. We're servants of God. He's placed us in the fellowship. We're building together. And whatever, you, whatever hurt you in the past is in the past. Give it to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let go of that offense. Well, they don't deserve forgiven. That's true. Forgive them anyway. It, it releases it to God, and God can take care of them. He can clean their clock. We've got some prayer partners that will be up here, and I'm going to be down in the after party. Don't leave me down there all alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy in teaching us important things from Philippians 1. Help us, Father, to learn more about you and, uh, as we open up those deeper layers of revelation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with God. He loves you.